Uh, testing one, two. Okay, good. Um, I want to talk about world religions today. Uh, constantly, when I interact with people, and I love to interact with people who want to talk about, you know, uh, in, uh, eternally significant things, that is what happens when you die, uh, what is, is there a God, and that sort of stuff. Um, and one of the things that, that often I get when I've talked to people is, well, it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something, because all roads lead to Rome. And uh, th that's a fairly common misconception, and it says two things to me about an individual. One is they've never thought deeply, or they never even have thought um, critically on what different world religions are saying. And so my rebuttal and my response to that is, and I don't mean to be kind of like a, you know, a smarty pants or something, I say, well, I'm just curious, how did you come to that conclusion? You know, how did, how did you come to that conclusion that all roads lead to Rome, uh, that there is really no, you know, significant difference in world religions? And I always ask is, what do you mean by significant difference? And, and invariably, people say something along these lines. They say, well, um, you know, all I'm talking about the afterlife, all I'm talking about God, there are God up there, and all I'm talking about uh, what you need to do to be a, you know, uh, um, a voting member in whatever world religion you're talking about. And I said, well, those are three great essentials that are in world religions. You know, the nature of God, uh, the nature of the afterlife, and then what do you, what do you got to do to be a voting member, if you will, or a successful member of that world religion? And I said, would, would, you, um, would you be interested in knowing that every world religion is so diametrically opposed to each other in those three huge areas, namely God, namely the means, and namely the afterlife, what it's like? And they say, well, how so? And then I'll proceed to explain much what I'm going to do right here today. But um, I said, now, that presents a second problem. If, if I'm right that all world religions are contradict each other, and they do, and I'll show that in just a moment, if all world religions contradict each other, going all the way back to one of the first talks that we did is uh, the, the law of non-contradiction. One of the basic, you know, Socrates, Plato, they all came out with basic principles. Law of non-contradiction says A cannot be non-A. I mean, you, and, and, and we talked about to, to disavow that is to avow it. If someone says, well, I don't believe that A cannot be non-A. Well, you just avowed A cannot be non-A. And so um, either one of those world religions then, based upon the law of non-contradiction, one of those world religions is true and the others are false to the degree that they disagree with the true one, or they're all false. That's, that's what you're faced with when you look at world religions. Either one is true or all are false. Now, let me, get, let me present the case for uh, the contradiction of all world religions. And when I say world religions, there's, all, there's, there's thousands of world religions. I'm going to take the five big ones. And the five big ones would be Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. 
by and large, the in, the bulk of anybody that's ever lived has been involved in one of those world religions. You've got all kinds of other world religions, but these are the ones that comprise the greatest uh, footprint in the world. And what I'd like to do is to take each one of those world religions, and, and, and if you've got questions about what I say, feel free to stop me. And I'd like to examine them as to their view of deity, what they view about God, Secondly, about their view of man's ultimate destination, that is what happens after you die. And finally, what is the determinant factor, the, uh, the, the determinant factor of that destination uh, based upon that deity? So we got three Ds. We've got deity, destination, and uh, determination. Now, if you look at Hinduism, and I don't know how many of you, if any of you all studied world religions. I mean, if you guys are all up on them, uh, I'll just drop to the chase on this thing. Most people haven't, and I don't expect them to. But I'm going to give you a very cursory. I just want to say I'm not going to go into depth. Uh, you know, when it when it comes to um, Islam, I'm not going to get into the the five pillars. I'm not going to get into the eightfold path of Buddhism. That's that would be another level that that we can go into if you want to sometime, but it's certainly inappropriate time-wise time, time -wise for this. Hinduism, as far as their belief in a deity, believes that uh, there's a formless, abstract being without any um, uh, what uh, a noticeable or notifiable or um, uh, understandable attributes. Uh, in fact, within Hinduism, there's a pantheon of deities. Um, they, they would have a deity for this, a deity of that. You know, there, there's Vishnu, there's Shima. I mean, there, there's, there's thousands of deities within Hinduism. And uh, some of them, they have no idea who they are. They're, they're just assigned there. If you ever study Hinduism, there's no way you could ever come up with what God is like because there's so many different deities there. Secondly, within Hinduism, they believe that when you die, you experience uh, an impersonal existence, which is almost a contradiction of terms. I mean, if it's impersonal, how do you know you're even existing? If you And what I mean by impersonal, you, you would lose the idea of self-identity, you lose the idea of intellect, emotions, and will. It's that you become a part of the nothingness. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't wait till I become a part of the nothingness. Now, there may be a day here and there when, you know, with all that's going on in the world. Uh, I think Joe Biden is close to that state at this point, you know. I uh, shouldn't have said that because people are going to listen to this, but it's true. Anyway, uh, what's the determinant of getting into that part of nothingness? And they would say that you have to do something. And that's why if you go into any Hindu country, and by the way, uh, just for the record, Hinduism isn't all home, uh, like personal, you know, peace and tranquility. There are a lot of very militant Hindus. And a lot of people don't realize that, but they and Islam are always killing each other. Now, not all Hindus are that way because it depends on which set of 
deities that you're worshiping within Hinduism. But they would say that in order for you to get to what the goal of this is that you've got to do certain things, which would be honor whichever set of familial, God, the gods of your family by doing offerings and acknowledging them in some form or fashion. In other words, you have to do something. It's a works-oriented religion. Buddhism, on the other hand, and a lot of people don't realize it's about Buddhism, but most Buddhists are atheists. Buddhists believe, don't really believe in a, an eternal being, a higher power, or anything like that. And that's why Buddhism is primarily an intellectual uh, uh, discipline. It's, it's not like, and it's kind of like, how do I live my life in this age? And within, um, within Buddhism, and again, I'm, I'm starting to go a little bit low, you know, below the surface on that. Within Buddhism, there's two key thoughts or key doctrines that having a desire leads to suffering. So the key to this life is to desire nothing. Therefore, there's less suffering. In other words, when you desire something and you don't get it, suffering takes place. You desire a lover. You desire a home. You desire whatever it is. And when you don't get it, that brings suffering. So the way to cure that suffering is to kill your desires. Now, I think what that does is that is to kill what makes us humans. That we have strong, and I believe that those desires were placed in our hearts uh, by God when he created us. But they believe then at, um, and this is their ultimate goal, and uh, their ultimate goal is and you get to the afterlife, and at some point, there's annihilation. You cease to exist. The classic example of what the afterlife is, if you've gotten to obtain it, is you take a drop of water and drop it in the ocean, and that's you for eternity. You lose who you are, you lose your uniqueness, you're, you're done. Now, another thing is that a lot of people, especially, and, and, and Buddhism has been so westernized and kind of gotten hip and pop and all that sort of stuff. Richard Gere made a big deal years ago when he was popular that he was a Buddhist and other people have as well. But uh, a lot of people say, well, you know, they, 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 they think the doctrine of reincarnation is good. Because in their mind, and they misinterpret, they've never read Buddhist thought, but reincarnation, the idea that you go through this life and then, you know, you come back and you go through it, you come back, you go through it, and you come back. It's called this endless cycle. And within classic Buddhism, reincarnation sucks because you don't want to keep coming back and suffering. You want to ultimately get out of this endless cycles of reincarnation and you want to become that drop in the ocean so you no longer suffer. Now, again, the determination of how you get to this afterlife is you have to do something. Uh, within Buddhism, it's the, uh, the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. 
And Buddha came up with that. And the reason he came up with that, uh, if you know the, the story behind Buddhism, he was a prince, treated well. He walked out in the world and he saw everything and he saw all the suffering. He said, I've got to find a way to explain that. So he renounced his royalty and he went into the world and he said, here's how you do it. You give up desiring stuff and uh, hopefully you smarten up after like a, a thousand reincarnations and you'll never come back. And that's good. It's works. Islam does believe in a higher power. It's, uh, they are monotheistic. And you, you must understand, a lot of people don't understand Islam. Islam did not come about till the 8th century, about 722, somewhere in there. And Islam is an amalgamation of the two world religions that were having a profound influence in the world at that time. Judaism and Christianity. They borrowed, they heavily borrowed from, um, from Judaism. In fact, I have a good friend, he's Jewish, he's not, a, he's not a believer, and he studied world religions, and he points out that all Islam is, is Judaism light. Uh, he says they basically ripped off a lot of our stuff and just made it easier to do. Now, the other thing that you don't understand, most people don't understand about Islam is Islam does believe in a part of their religion, the doctrine of jihad. Now, modern day thinkers have tried to clean that up. And they say, well, jihad just simply means you're willing to suffer. No, that's not the way it was taught in the 8th century. Jihad was going and killing Jews and Christians if you need to. And so um, Muhammad, if you look at that, and a lot of people, I've read the Quran several times. It's a very difficult book to read because it's, uh, it's arranged in uh, what are known as surahs, S-U-R-A-H. Think of those as chapters in a Bible. And um, Muhammad never wrote anything. He was illiterate. He could not write. But what Muhammad would do is he would speak and his followers would write down things. Now, another thing that most people don't understand about Islam is up until, I think, and, and don't quote me, I may get my century a bit off here, up until about the 5th century, there were many different Qurans being circulated, depending on who wrote what down as far as the surahs. So you had like Quran B would have these surahs, Quran uh, A would have some of these surahs, but some of the surahs from Quran, uh, uh, Quran uh, C, and so you had different ones. They standard not, standardized this in about the 5th century, and they said, we're going to take all of these and make one because we got a problem here, we got contradictions. So they arbitrarily decided on, what, if you will, it'd be like Christians arbitrarily deciding, we're not going to have those books of the Bible, we're not going to, arbitrarily deciding which ones they wanted in the Bible by personal preference. So you've got the Quran, the Quran does teach uh, 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 jihad, and the Quran also believes that you can do everything you want to or let me get to this, the afterlife, it's primarily a very male-dominated, sensualistic afterlife, which, ought, which appeals to poor uh, Muslims that have nothing, but if you're male and you blow yourself up, you get 
a bunch of virgins in the afterlife and you're in the garden of Allah and it's just a good thing. It's a high motivation. This world sucks. I can get out of it by going and killing people in the name of Allah. And so uh, that is still a huge, I should, I should talk loud, softer, I'm sorry. I forgot to do that. I'll, I'll try to talk quieter so we don't interrupt anybody. But anyway, what that just, I'm saying, it just reminded me of that. And, you know, especially if they're Muslim, they're really going to get upset with me. But anyway, uh, the way that, again, the way that you get to this afterlife and get these Vestal virgins is by doing things. So the first three world religions we've looked at, you have to do, do, do. You have to do things. If you go to Judaism, they too believe in monotheism. There is a difference, though, between Islamic monotheism and Judaic monotheism. Within Islamic monotheism, you can do everything right. But Allah has the prerogative to send you to hell at the, the la, on the last days, even if you've done everything right, which to me, that makes Allah a liar and unjust. But that's my view of Islam. Whereas within Judaism, they're only hoping, here's what a lot of people don't understand about Jews. Jews really have no concept of heaven as we see in the New Testament. The closest you get to, and you'll see this in the Gospel of Luke, and, you know, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and you said, you know, and in there, he's just going and being in Abraham's bosom. Jews don't have any concept of a well-defined personal existence in a heaven that Christian, that like, that we as Christians talk about. In fact, heaven as we know it, as Christians know it, is, um, it comes from the New Testament, not, not the Old Testament. Most Jews believe when you die, they're not sure what the afterlife is like. Um, the closest they get to an afterlife is the Hebrew word sheol, which means some sort of existence. And David, when he thinks he's going to die and, and die, and you know, by dishonoring Christ, you know, or dishonoring Yahweh, he says that people don't praise you in sheol, the afterlife. So most Jews have no concept of what happens after death. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure, please do. I can't remember which psalm it is, but David, or psalm, um, maybe the 23rd, but maybe the first, I forget. But at the, end, the last sentence is, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Yeah, that's the 23rd psalm. That's the 23rd psalm. But what you've got to, what David is espousing right there is, is and this is why it's so important to take, um, and I'm not saying you don't, but it's a great interpretive lesson here. When you interpret scripture, you've got to look at the immediate context. And the question you must ask yourself is what would David had understand the house of the Lord? So that's a good, that's a question. I, you know, we, we immediately want to transfer that to heaven, but it's not. The house of the Lord was either the tabernacle in the Old Testament or the temple in the Old Testament. So what David is saying, his greatest desire, 
is to be forever in the temple in Jerusalem because then he was forever with the Lord. That's what he's saying. Of course, he knows he's not going to live forever. He knows he's not going to live. He, he says, I, I, I want to be in the temple of the Lord forever. Well, that forever for him was till his heart stopped beating. Because you see, we're reading into the idea of an afterlife and you can't find that, that it's not strong in Judaism. So what David was hoping is he just wanted to be in the presence of the Lord and where was the presence as far as he was concerned? It was in that temple. It was in the tabernacle of the Old Testament, uh, you know, when they're traveling. And then when the temple was built, he says, that's where I want to dwell. I want to be with God forever. But remember, our forever is different than his forever, you know. You know, for instance, you could say, you, you can make the statement, uh, I want to be married to my wife forever. Well, when I die, the it, I'm, not, I'm not married to her anymore. I'm dead. So we use it, but that's why context is important. Christianity, on the other hand, Christianity, on the other hand, is a uh, Trinitarian monotheism. That's different from uh, different from Judaism, different from Islam. It's a Trinitarian monotheism. What I mean by that is you've got God. There is only one God. Uh, Deuteronomy 6.4 is called the great Shema, which is on my ring. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. That's monotheism. Uh, but Trinitarian monotheism says that you have uh, you don't have three gods, you have one God, or as I call it, Dr. Seuss uh, uh, theology, is you have one what and three who's. One what and three who's. You've got, if you will, think of a triangle. At the top of the triangle would be God the Father. Down here, as you go down on the right, would be God the Son, as you go left at the bottom would be God the Holy Spirit. And then as you go back up, you'd have God the Father. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And then in between each of the, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, you would write on the top of that triangle, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father. But in the middle, you would have an arrow pointing from the Father, an arrow pointing from the Son, an arrow pointing from the Spirit that pointed to the word God. So what you have there is one what, God, in three persons. And they are not mixed. The Father is distinct from the Son. The Son is distinct from the Spirit. But they together are God. One what? three who's. That is what is called as a Trinitarian monotheism. Now, within Christianity, and most of you all know this, that those that are a part of Christianity, believers in Jesus Christ, is that the personal existence is paradisial. It's, there's a paradise where you live in heaven with him forever. Now, I think a lot of people think, well, I don't want to be floating on a cloud playing a harp. You're not going to do that. It's the most, I mean, think of your best day. Someone as well said, think of your best day here on earth. It's your worst day in heaven. And so it's, you know, in, in, there's a Hebrew term, shalom. In fact, when you greet people in Hebrew, you'll often say shalom lecha, which means peace to you. And sh but shalom 
is not, you know, cessation of hostilities. It's wholeness. It's oneness. It's satis. It's, it's, it's life is good. You've seen that bumper sticker that says life is good. That is shalom. Or basically, shalom would be life can't get any better. Then I think all of us realize that even on our best days, there are some things that could be better. That's what heaven is. And uh, that's, that's why heaven is, it's your best day physically, best day spiritually, emotionally, uh, everything. It's your best day ever for eternity. Now, the way you get there is by accepting or believing a, a free gift. Christianity says that Jesus Christ promises, you'll find this in 1 John 2, you'll find it in um, uh, 1 John 5, 12 through 13. Uh, these, uh, you know, he says, uh, to those who believe, they may, that, to all those who believe may have eternal life. That all you have to do is to believe Jesus Christ. He's making an offer to give you eternal life. If you believe that offer, you have eternal life. So here is the radical difference between Christianity and all other world religions. All other religions say you have to do something. Christianity says it's done. It's done. Nothing to do, something to believe, and it's something you can never, ever lose. Dr. Charles Rivery, one of my professors at seminary, said, uh, the, you know, why would they call it eternal life if you can lose it? And unfortunately, there's a lot of Christians today who believe that, you know, you can believe in Jesus Christ, but because of things that you do after believing, you can either lose eternal life or you never had eternal life. And I categorically reject both those. I believe Christianity says once you believe Jesus Christ for eternal life, since eternal life it can never be earned, returned, or, or, or forfeited or lost. So those are the difference in the three major world religions. 